Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Snakes on the Diamond, where we'll be talking about the trade deadline today and how the Los Angeles Angels have ruined the trade market for starting pitchers for everybody else. So as you do that, make sure to um, hit that subscribe button, leave a like, and comment down below. So... We have our uh, our well, meme banner here. Good morning, Anyways. Michael. Let's uh, let's get right into it. Uh, yeah, the Angels ruined the trade market. I mean, they gave up their number two and uh, number sixty-five overall prospect. Uh, well, it's their their number two, the number sixty-five overall prospect, and their number three prospect for Gilito and uh, Reynaldo Lopez, which are both rentals, and which is just an insane price to for them to pay. Um, it kind of prices the Diamondbacks out of a lot. I mean, like the later moves have, have, along with this have really kind of made it seem like this is absolutely like a seller's market right now. Yeah, and I was going to say that it's one of these, I think it's going to be one of those trade dead markets where the big names are going to fly off the board like two last three hours before the deadline. So it might be a situation where we don't have a major trade and then we start a trade deadline special and then hell breaks loose. But yeah, we're going to be doing a special next Wednesday. Yeah. That's that 30 minutes before the trade deadline. And we're going to cover it for maybe about 90 minutes at most. All we're going to do is talk about the trades, maybe bring a few people on and discuss and that kind of stuff. So anyways, like I said, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Michael McDermott. You can follow me at, at Michael McD MLB. And then you can follow Wesley at. At Buyer Wesley. One of my many, many accounts. I'm also C, C Wesley Buyer on other social media if you're looking for me. So, yeah. Or with so Central right, on YouTube. So, we're going to get right into the uh, first major trade Lucas Giolito, as Wes already highlighted out. Lucas Giolito. And Ronaldo Lopez for catcher Edgar Caro and left-handed pitcher Kai Bush. So looking at their uh, prospects, obviously Caro is a top 100 prospect listed at 65 on MLB Pipeline, 84 on Baseball America. Kai Bush not on the 100. Uh, I think Kai Bush is listed in the top 100 on Baseball America, but not the case on Pipeline. And they're both good prospects. Like this is like this is pretty. That's like giving up. Lawler and and fought for the same thing, which is like absolutely like not a price any Diamondbacks fan or executive would really be happy with. Uh, like it's it's a uh, it's a big it's a big, I think it's a really good haul for uh, uh, for Giolito and Ronaldo uh, Lopez. Yeah, credit to the White Sox for getting that type of that type of uh, return back. It was like that was a too, that was too good a price for the Angels to pay. So we're gonna I'm gonna pull up Jack's article here about the trade itself, so we can see it. So basically, if you look to be here, fair, the the Angels farm system is not great. So that does like, uh, you know, like say it's like their their number isn't there like number one prospects out. So you know, like it's their farm their their farm system is not great. It's really kind of my point. He likens to return to Tommy Troy and Drew Jones, but I think it's actually Drew Jones and Brandon Fott because the White Sox had asked the Dimebacks for Fott 
in the trade and were rebuffed by Arizona because they weren't going to give up a starting pitch, a top one, a top 50. Well, actually, I'm not sure where lots of top 50 prospects. They're not giving up a top 50 prospect for a rental. Now, I do think yeah, there are scenarios in which the Dimex should trade fought potentially, in my opinion. We'll talk about that later in the show, which in regards to other pitchers they might be targeting. But it's like, like I said, you're giving up a top 100. You're giving up a, a lower top 100 and you're giving up your top pitching prospect in order to land a rental. But that's because uh, Shohei Otani is going to be a free agent after the season. The Angels will only get a second round pick if he walks. So pick after the uh, comp B round when I say second round pick. So the competitive balance B pick. So that's the last pick they'd have. It's a day one pick, but it's the last one. Yeah, that's what they get. But of course, it never felt like it never felt like they were going to trade him. Did you or did you think so? I I honestly think it really came down to like where their their winning record is. Obviously, uh, ownership didn't want to trade Atani. Um, this we were talking about a return for him. Like the only rental I'd be okay with is Atani. Like I would you know give up, uh, you know like I mean it's debatable if it would be okay to do so, but. Um, if you're going for it, like that's kind of what you get for for him. So this is just insane. I I didn't think he'd be traded just because it's, there's too much money involved. Like he, there's too many non on the field factors with Tony. Like there, he's just I uh, <laughs> he's the golden goose. Like you can't really you can't really do wrong in any way. There's like nothing that he does that's. I mean, he's got makeup. He's got he's a good story. He's attractive. He's can play two positions simultaneously. Like he's every single thing that you want a player to, to acquire. And I don't, there's really the like talent. Like, I don't know why they would, they're not going to get back. I'd be very surprised if he resigns. So, I mean, and I'd be very surprised if they even like, ad, like advanced in the postseason. Um, I mean, unless he's like carrying the team on his back. Um, I don't see it really happening. And he's going to walk in free agency and make, $60 million a year or so. Uh, he's worth easily that. Yeah, I'm trying to find the Barry Bloom sto- uh, tweet. It might be his other account that has it. Talking about Otani I mean, and the pro- type of money that was moved, but I can't find it. I have his, I did the wrong one. It's hard to quantify his value because it's more than just he's a two-way player that is elite level uh at, at times at both, um, I think we haven't seen the really best of him as a pitcher. We certainly are seeing like what he's capable of as a hitter this year. I mean, he leads the league in home runs and uh, uh, WRC plus. Uh, I mean, look at yesterday. He had a complete game, one hitter, shutout. And then he went and hit two home runs in the next game. Uh, he also he left the game with cramps, but the man threw 111 pitches and jacked two home runs in a doubleheader. So I mean, you can't. I'd have cramps. I think anyone would. Uh, I guess he. I guess he is, in fact, human. So there you go. So part of the reason there. So this Barry Bloom tweet. He was told by people in the Angels organization that a four million dollar marketing deal was going to go out the window as soon as Otani was traded. So. And he was huh. arguing with uh, Victor Rojas, who used to call games for the Angels. Interesting. That's see, that's so like that, I said. There's some off the field. Like he brings in revenue, just in terms of like uh, the eyes on him when he's on the field. Like literally, 
in Japan, like you, you see like his games get put on in little kids' classrooms and like, you know, things like that. Like in the role play baseball classic, they were watching it in school. Like it's a normal thing yeah. to stop and watch and see it starts. So uh, just the revenue from the Japanese audience putting eyes on him, that's worth it to keep just, you know, the angels for that. So um, it's more than just, he's the greatest player in baseball. He also is like a social media superstar. He's a superstar in his own country. He's probably the most, probably the most famous athlete right now outside of like Messi. He's yeah. In the world. Yeah. In the world. Sick. And then also, you remember how big that moment was when he got to face Mike Trout with the entire WBC on the line. If Trout hits a home run, Team USA wins. It takes a 4-3 lead. And, of course, uh, if Otani gets Trout out, which what, what yeah. happened, then Japan wins. That's kind of the... Yeah. So I mean, that was like peak baseball moment right there. That's what everyone... Yeah, you, that's what you, you want to see. That's what he wanted to see, actually. He wanted to face his own team, which, which is adorable, Which, you know, that's what, like, that's what he brings to the game. So, like, no, I don't really think they're going to trade him just based on all that value. No. Moreno likes making money. So, and I guess a $4 million marketing deal, which is... $4 is not small change either. Because that's, that's basically the equivalent of a, what, an ARB1 eligible player salary, typically. So there. So, anyways, uh, the other point I was going to bring up is the fact that Otani's playing for the Angels makes the Angels Stadium a destination ballpark just simply on the talent alone, and that's kind of the big reason why you wouldn't make that deal. And if you look at the baseball standings, we're going to pull up the standings. Here, the Angels are. We'll pull up on the American League here. Once I have it, we'll put it on screen for you. All right. So looking at the American League. Looking at the standings here, you can see the Angels are three games back of the wild card here. And they have won eight of their last ten. Ten and a positive run differential. Across the uh, across the board, and they're not doing too badly on the road. They're not doing too badly on the road, and their record against five hundred or better teams is acceptable. Are they a, are they a top flight team? No. When they're fully healthy, are they a threat to run in the postseason? I don't know. But like I said, the Angels have a puncher's chance once they get into the postseason because they have the two best players in the world on that team. Because Trout will be coming off the IL, I assume, in two in about four to five weeks, and I think they said the end of August for that hamate bone injury. To come back, if he comes back, and even the uh, not so great version of himself that he was this year is still a very good player. Obviously, if he returns back to his peak, that becomes a huge that becomes a, a very huge development for the Angels, and you got the star power necessary to get through the postseason. And you kind of just look at it there. So, I, like I said, despite 
Like I would say the Angels have a better chance of making a postseason run than Boston, Toronto, Boston, or even the Yankees. If you kind of just look at it that way. So anyways, we're going to move on to some of the other big trades of the offseason. I mean, of the deadline, I should say. Offseason. The main thing, obviously, for the Dimebacks is what are they going to do with the rental pieces? Um, what are they going to do with the, re- the other rental starters on the market? So the big names, obviously, I think John Gambador mentioned Jordan Montgomery as a player the Dimebacks were interested in, but I think they're pretty much interested on any <laughs> any starting pitcher that's available on the market. So the, I think Marcus Stroman's not real. Marcus Stroman might have been an interesting arm on the market, but I don't think he's on the market anymore. And we'll pull up the standings one more time for the National League wild card. National League wild card, real quick here. So you kind of see. That the uh, while the Dimebacks are only half a game out of the playoff spot, so they're they're very much in it. They're tied with Cincinnati in the loss column for the uh, wild card, and have a ch- have four games on Cincinnati to play in August. Thing that concerns me a little bit, obviously, is if they're tied for Miami. Miami has the head-to-head tiebreaker, going four and two against Arizona, and D-backs certainly could knock the Cubs out of the playoff race with seven games in September against the Northsiders. But Chicago is close enough that they can create some problems. So they're at 500, four games back of the wild card, and they have won eight of their last 10, six-game winning streak. Of course, the question becomes is, how long can Chicago sustain this? The longer the streak goes, I think the more legitimate they might be as a wild card contender. They certainly have enough pieces in a wide-open National League wild card race situation. They have a legitimate frontline starter in Marcus Stroman. Smiley's a solid mid-rotation guy, um, and they have some pretty interesting... They got a all-star level shortstop dance. We sponsored Nico Horner, very good second baseman. Although, um, I know Cody Bellinger was mentioned as a Dimebacks trade target, although I personally don't think it's a good idea for the Dimebacks to trade for Bellinger this year because uh, he's left the problem of him being a left-handed outfielder, and the Dimebacks certainly have left-handed outfielders that can play center field. And despite Bellinger having a better track record of the bat earlier in his career, it's like, comparatively at the current stage of their career, it's like, Bellinger's not much of an upgrade over McCarthy or Thomas. Just maybe a little less volatile over Thomas and a little bit more upside than McCarthy. So then you kind of look at Chicago. They're four games back, and they've won a 10, six-game winning streak, positive run differential. However, they have struggled against 500 teams, so... When they get into a tougher part of schedule and teams like the Dimebacks, obviously, if the Dimebacks can get off that losing streak, losing streak, three and nine since the All-Star break, uh, five and 17 since they beat Tampa Bay on June 27th, I believe is what, no, 7-16, five and 14 in July. The Dimebacks can get off that losing run. I think the faster they do it, the better chance they have of salvaging a wild card spot. So, Chicago's interesting, but there are some holes in the armor. Like I said, the over 500 record definitely stands out. They've been beating up on some bad teams in their own division. So you kind of look at here. We don't know what the Giants. Nobody's really knows what the Giants are going to do with the trade deadline. I haven't seen anything linked to them. LinkedIn, they're kind of in the same situation as Dimex were entering the season where they have some pieces and you're kind of and they're coming off a bad year. So they're kind of seeing what's going on and everything has gone right for them this year. 
Philadelphia, they're, obviously they're in it because they, last year they won the National League pennant, and now they're trying to get back into it. And Philadelphia obviously is in the mix for help. I think they're probably looking at other places. So getting into some of the other trades. So the other trades, I made, uh, there have been some shorts, obviously. The David Robertson one was the one that stands out to me the most. It's like the Marlins gave the Mets a two lottery ticket prospects at the complex league level, 18, 19-year-old lottery ticket prospects, although they are listed in the top 30 on MB Pipeline for the Marlins' top prospects. But like I said, I consider a rookie uh complex league prospect to be basically a lottery ticket because they're four years away and maybe they have upside kind of thing. Of course, we, if you ever look at our top 10 list that we published, yes, uh, we did yesterday on the show. There are two guys that actually started the year in the complex on that list. Yoncel Luis and Christopher Torin were on there, but of course now they're in low a and I feel smarter about it, but that's just how it is. So if you ever want to check out that David Robertson short, you can look at, channel and find the Robertson short thing and uh thank you everyone that has watched it so far I thought I put a lot I put a little bit of work into that one and some other trades Ahmed Rosario was traded to the Dodgers in exchange for Noah Syndergaard Syndergaard hasn't really done anything for the Dodgers this year in fact uh the last time the Diamondbacks saw him they basically ran wild on him it scored 12 runs against the Dodgers in what was a series win at Chase Field that put them up 2-1 it was pretty clear that the Diamondbacks brand of baseball was bothering the Dodgers that weekend. So Rosario's actually been had a tough uh, free agent uh, free agent platform here with the Guardians. Defensive metrics are pretty down on him. Defensive run saves was minus sixteen, but obviously you look at every metric. We'll pull up his stat cast. So I feel like Rosario isn't necessarily bad, but this, but could be under. I feel like he's underperforming. All right, so I got a stack caps page. I'm going to pull that up on the broadcast. So just kind of looking at the... Uh, pulling this up. So kind of the thing that stands out when you look at his percentile rankings is he's not necessarily... He's got a lot of weak contact in his profile, but a lot of hard hit contact, and it's averaging out in a weird way. So you kind of just look at the percentile and he's chasing pitches out of the strike zone. That's kind of like the big thing. Although I'm not sure how well plate discipline is for uh, Rosario. And you kind of look at his offensive number, 675 OPS. He's, it doesn't stri- he doesn't strike me as a guy who walks a lot. What's his walk rate? Percent- okay, 12th percentile on walk rate. Of course, we should ever... Of course, in a future video, we should definitely do a how to navigate a StatCast page. Anything so that way this doesn't seem so confusing next time around. So you kind of look at the numbers here. Rosario has a solid hard hit rate that's 6% above the MLB average. Fairly um, fairly solid strikeout walk rate. He's what Bob Bradley calls a WW, less than 5% walk rate. Typically doesn't strike out very much. 18%, 19% strikeout rate. But kind of the uh, thing is, is the quality of contact is below average. Even if you factor in, okay, 
Weight on base average is lower than the expected. And if you expect regression on that one, it's still 309. He's 300, 310, 309. It'll be pretty interesting. So what the Dodgers are probably getting is two months of a shortstop with a slightly below average bat. And then we'll take a look at his defense. So his defense this year has been minus 11. So he's not been very good defensively this year. Of course, uh, as I joke, and this is a, and this is kind of like the main impetus here. If you want to know everything about what you need to know about the Cleveland Guardians, we said I think we said this yesterday, but everything you need to know about the Cleveland Guardians, you can find out in Bernie Pleskov's Twitter. If you follow Twitter timeline, so we'll. Share that real quick. Um, Bernie Pleskov. And he's been a scout for a long time. And we're talking. And he says 50s. Uh, sorry. Long time. Long time scout for the Mariners and the Astros. And he does go to. And he, do, and he is a regular. Um, regularly covers Diamondback games for Forbes. As well. He has his own seat. In the press box. This is kind of just like the. Uh, kind of just scrolling down. And that's kind of the. Uh, that's just kind of the gist of it. So we'll move on to some other trades. Well, so Dodgers also getting utility infielder Enrique Kike Hernandez in exchange for two right-handed relievers, Nick Robertson, who threw about 10 and two-thirds innings for the Dodgers this year. He's been sitting in their AAA. And then another AAA reliever, Jonathan Hagenman. So that's just Boston giving up uh, a guy that uh, was going to hit free agency and wasn't necessarily doing great for them. Although I also can see that the Red Sox were... Misusing Hernandez as a shortstop, that's not. He's a utility guy, but shortstop is not a position that he's best suited to play. And the Red Sox shortstop death was completely annihilated. And by annihilated, I mean Trevor Story got hurt, and they had no backup plan. That's just kind of how it went for them. So without Trevor Story, the Red Sox didn't have a shortstop on the air because I felt like their plan A at shortstop was resetting Xander Bogarts, and Bogarts obviously went to San Diego. And now, uh, and then Boston's kind of sitting on the outside looking in, even though they're closer to the wild card, to wild card spot than the Angels are when we talked about the Angels earlier. It feels like the Angels have a better shot of getting in because of the talent that they have on their roster compared to the Red Sox, who have some clear roster holes, not just shortstop, but other places. And I believe also, I believe that covers the main trades for today. So then we kind of look preview some starting pitcher rental trades. There are four names, four names that I wrote on the show outline. Stroman, obviously are kind of addressed already. Jordan Montgomery, Michael Loren- and then Detroit stars, Michael Lorenz and Eduardo Rodriguez. The Diamondbacks probably have checked in on all four of them to see what the price is. And of course, as we joked it earlier in the show, the angels by over by 
meaning Chicago's high asking price for Giolito ended up uh, ruining the starting pitching market for everybody else. So we kind of just look at that. So could, I do think the Dimebacks need to acquire a starter if they have any chance of competing this year, although the urgency might not necessarily be high because they're going to be returning most of that roster next year. However, the environment to get into the playoffs next year might not necessarily be as easy compared to past seasons. You kind of look at it there that, okay, the National League is wide open this year. The Cardinals, the Mets, the Padres, teams that were expected to make the postseason, not necessarily just compete, but make the postseason, are not in it. The Dodgers are not the team they've been the last 10 years, the last five years. Dodgers are not world beaters. They are a good, not great team. Kind of thing. Now, the team that looks inevitable right now is Atlanta. Atlanta looks as good as they've been the last five years. Last three or four years. They've been that good. So that's kind of like the only thing that's been the same compared to the past years in the National League. It is wide open, and Dimex may not have a better opportunity to get in. So that's kind of like, okay, do I overpay in prospects or do I miss this uh, conundrum that Mike Hazen has? Do I overpay in prospects to get help? Or do I keep the powder dry and not mortgage the future in order to make the to erase a six-year playoff drought? And my shirt is the last illustrates when the Diamondbacks last made the postseason as a wild card team. So it's pretty interesting. Like I said, the big the fireworks have not gone off yet in the trade deadline. There's a lot of big names that are going to go off in the next five days. Who knows? Maybe the trade's already gone off during the show. And that's kind of just the conundrum Dimex find themselves in. So I guess Pittsburgh definitely holds a lot of cards in this trade deadline. Like I said, we'll talk about... Well, um, David Bednar is definitely going to be one of the bigger names to keep an eye on the deadline. I know uh, Gambo linked the D-backs to Bednar. And then Jack wrote an article on Inside the Dimebacks about Dimebacks and why they should go after David Bednar. You can check that out by going to uh, Inside Dimebacks at si.com slash MLB slash Dimebacks. We'll pull up the. Uh, we'll pull that up at the later segment, in about I'd say about five ten minutes. We'll talk. We'll shift over to talking about Pittsburgh and maybe the Dimebacks taking advantage of a unique opportunity that Pittsburgh could provide them. Actually, you know what? Let's do it now. Um, so obviously if you listen to the Burns and Gambo show yesterday you saw the you saw that they uh, had some pretty interesting stats in the first 10 minutes of the show you'll be surprised where they found that they actually found it from this article that Jack wrote on Tuesday morning after the Diamondbacks had blown a Five six ninth inning lead. It was their eighth blown save of the season, and that's been a and as I said, it's a consistent problem. It's been a consistent problem even going back beyond the Mike Hazen era. 
but we're just going to focus on Hazen himself. Since uh, past GMs obviously aren't in a position to make changes on the team. So we're just going to pull that up here. Like I said, make sure to give Jack a follow at ShoeWizard59 on Twitter. Like I said, his analysis, if, if you're looking for go-to analysis on the Diamondbacks, not just of the game, but also kind of like an overarching thing. Uh, this stuff gets mentioned on the broadcast on uh, broadcast quite a bit. And we're talking like the television broadcast. So if you're looking at the uh, ninth inning save situations. Here and then obviously we got to deal with these burned in ads. Looking at ninth inning save situations. Diamondbacks are well below average under the Mike Hazen era, and it's not even close. So you look at 28th and 30th, and then in factory in just 2023, 29th and 30th. So the Diamondbacks uh, bullpen has not gotten the job done. And if they're not, and as the next sentence says, if they're not the worst, they are second or third worst at doing it, at getting the job done. Then Jack goes into high high leverage situations, which obviously without context doesn't explain a lot. And he does compare to the major league average. So that way you don't get freaked out by the numbers. And it's important to understand what the average is and why it's so much worse. Then if you're into, and then this is showcasing more advanced statistics. Obviously the ERA alone will paint the picture being 30th in ERA and 29th this season. And then obviously you factor out defense with FIP. I'm back. And it looks like Wes is back. Technical issues. And then, so if you look at the advanced metrics here, the Diamondbacks have been very poor at converting safe situations and pitching high leverage innings in the ninth inning. And it it's not bad. It's ugly. The only stat where they're not a bottom three is an XFIP, but that's a regression stat. That is not a performance stat. That's the one regression stat. And then there's just not enough innings for a regression stat to take place. And finally, down here, Jack compares the three-headed monster Chafin Castro McGuff in the ninth inning to David Bednar. Here, so one while we wait for Wes to get back in here and ready to go, Jack makes the case for David Bednar because so much better results. And again, not sample size not long enough for XFIP that really mattered too much. Like I said, that's a regression stat because it normalizes home run to fly ball ratio to the league average instead of using home runs surrendered. And obviously, guys are good at preventing fly. Uh, Loud contact. Fly balls aren't turning into home runs. The Dimebacks are in a weird situation where the rental market's kind of screwed up for them. So maybe they take a risk and go after controllable talent like Bednar, Mitch Keller, or other players that Pittsburgh is listing on offers for both of them. But certainly it's going to be tough to pry either, if not both of them, away from Pittsburgh without selling the entire farm.
Yes. So, if anyone is interested, it's like if anyone's interested. Would you be willing to pay the high price prospect cost to get David Bednar to try and okay, Bednar ninth inning? I don't have to worry about that. Then I worry about piecing the bullpen together for the eighth, and then the seventh, and then maybe the sixth. If you shorten the game to eight innings, and then that may shorten the game even further. Once you get guys are selling into different roles, it's like, okay, I'm in this. It's like, okay, Bender gets the ninth. Okay, we match up the eighth inning. We match up the seventh inning. Our three-headed monster that can't pitch the ninth inning. They pitch the seventh and eighth inning, although they've been a little bit leaky in those innings as well. So I'm a little bit concerned about their ability, even getting the ball to Bednar if they make that trade. It's not good to have a closer if you blow the game in the seventh inning. Like The value of a closer is getting, the value of having a good closer is being able to get him the ball in the ninth inning. Worry, get get him in those situations. Although, given that he's younger, there is the possibility of going for four out or higher saves. That's just not something he's done this year. He's only gone for, I think he's only gone for four uh, saves or more since uh, five times this year. And this is kind of the beauty of uh, baseball reference. You can look this up on baseball reference. And then we'll go through the process. So if you're looking for uh, if you're looking for reliever stats, the best place to go is Baseball Reference. Go to Pitching Advanced Stats, and then we're gonna look for reliever pitching. Because obviously we're not gonna look at starting pitching. He's not. He's never started. The thing to look at here. Okay, here's your reliever pitching stats. Dave Bedner. Obviously, he's not inherited runner guy. Seven to nine inherited runners have scored, so he is a give him the ball with an empty slate type pitcher, but that's okay. That's what your closure is meant for. So 20, 26 of the 39 games that he's appeared in have been high leverage. So he has been tested in high leverage situations. 25 of the 39 games. He entered in a tie ahead for Pittsburgh, eight games. He entered in a tie. So that's kind of, you're going to use your closer tie game in the ninth inning at home, or if you had the lead, and then 34 of the 39 games he came in were with the bases empty. So basically, he's a hand up. So basically, you hand David Bednar the ball in the ninth inning to get three outs. That's what he is. Only three times has he been able, only four times this season has he gotten more than three outs. Although he was tasked against the Diamondbacks on July 8th to get more than three outs. In fact, he was tasked with five. He only got three. If I remember that game correctly, since I was covering that game from the press box. And then three games where he has completed fewer than three outs. I'm assuming that's a situation where the game is a non-safe situation or a non-safe situation. Then the game gets out of hand and now Bender's got to come in there. Only four times has he been... Pitched in more than one inning. So basically, he is get me the final three out. So basically, his impact on the Pirates has been get me three the final three outs of the ball game. And that's what the D-backs would be looking for if they trade for him. 
Of course, uh, it looked good on my it looked good on my monitor. I don't know if you were able to follow along there, but that's kind of just the gist of looking at reliever pitching on Baseball Reference. So then that's kind of just the appeal of trading for Bedner. Of course, the prospect cost is going to be high. Arizona may be looking at giving up, and this is a trade proposal that Jesse Friedman came up with for. Jesse Freeman, the PHNX people came up with for David Bedner. And we'll pull that up. Pull that up, and then I'll. All right. Go to media. Because we'll skip the Cody Bellinger one. Okay, here we go. This is it. Again, obviously, the num- I don't really care too much about ER the season ERA. It's more, can you get the job done or not? And the Dimex obviously have relievers that can't get the job done. All right. So again, so this is the trade package they came up with. Right-handed pitcher Brandon Fott, which to me is a no. Third baseman... Um, Corner infielder Ivan Melendez, big power guy, and I, I wrote him as a guy that not necessarily trade before his debut on Inside the Diamondbacks, but Melendez is not a can't-miss prospect unless he can reduce his strikeout rate. And, of course, if Melendez can reduce his strikeout rate, he's not, top, he's not touchable. He's a top, 100, top 50 prospect if his strikeout rate drops next year, in my opinion. Of course, uh, I'm not in control of those lists, so that's just how I see it. And then Dominic Fletcher. Obviously, the uh, tertiary piece in this deal is not that important. I think Pittsburgh would be more interested in getting a little bit more uh, more upside from the position player standpoint. That's kind of the thing. That's kind of where Melendez factors in. Melendez, and since Pittsburgh just traded their first baseman to the Milwaukee Brewers yesterday, that's where Melendez kind of slides in long term. He's obviously not going to play third. They have Key Brian Hayes locked up long term. Got a Neil Cruz at shortstop, and then Jared Triolo is probably their utility infielder. They got a lot, and Pittsburgh's got a lot of infield depth, except at first base. For me, I think Fott's a no. Uh, I I find a way to not trade Brandon Fott in that deal because you're giving up a starter with six years of control for a closer with three. I mean, it's closer with three and a half, a three and two thirds. No, not two thirds. One third, three years and change. That's what you're giving. That's the uh, process there. You're giving up a, a guy that has mid rotation starter upside, although he'll have to figure out how to keep the ball in the yard and miss more bats to get to that ceiling. Giving up a forty homer threat, although might not hit forty home runs if the swing and miss becomes a huge issue. Right now, I don't think they should trade Melendez, but he's not can't miss. So if they do it, it's not going to bother me at any point whatsoever. It's like I've been wrong before. And then Dominic Fletcher to me as the third piece, not enough upside. Yesterday I said, okay, I had to think about this trade. Uh, kind of thinking about it again, it's like I'm not sure this gets this done. Like I said, Dimebacks would be hesitant to include Fott, and then I think Melendez is a good piece to send. Like I said, there's upside and a considerable amount of risk in that profile. And then Dominic Fletcher, to me, is a fourth outfielder type. 
that can play center and right field, but isn't necessarily an everyday player. If I were the Pirates, I would try to get McCarthy in that deal. That's just how I see it. I would try to get... So I think Dimex could possibly center the steal around McCarthy. It's a thing. And obviously, I let, I'm a big fan of Jake McCarthy's game. Jake McCarthy, Melendez, and then maybe one of your AAA arms like Sacconi or Walston. Walston or even Human Lin in Double A. That's kind. That's how I. That's how I would try to package the deal. We'll see how that goes. Obviously, that's my personal opinion. But anyways, that'll be interesting to see. If you are interested in, uh, if you want to talk about possibly trade, uh, if you want to come up with some trade ideas, put that down in the comments down below. Make sure to hit the like button, subscribe as well as we are uh, getting to the 40 minute mark here on the stream. So we are not going to be doing the two hour stream thing like we tried on yesterday because nobody's going to sit through a two hour show. We're just going to close it out at about 10:55. 10.55 uh, Arizona time. It's currently 10.41. So anyways, that's it. Uh, Mitch Keller, I would actually consider giving up Brandon Fott for because, again, you're trading a starting pitcher for another. You're trading a starting pitcher with more control. Uh, more control. Three years of control. Keller kind of lines up with Zach Gallen in the sense of... Uh, let me check Gallen's page real quick. Make sure they line up because uh, Mitch Keller has three years of service time. Okay, yeah, Gallen has three years of service time. They line up in the same window, but then you ask yourself, okay, you trade for Mitch Keller. I have to give up a lot more than Bednar. Bed, to, give up, to get up David Bednar, because again, four years of close is not the same as three years of a number two, borderline number one starter, frontline starter. And Keller does not have extended control beyond Zach Gallen. They both hit the free agency in the same year. So there's your problem. You have your best two stars are going to hit free agency at the exact same time, and you know signing you know signing Gallon before free agency is going to be next to impossible. Gallon being a Scott Boris free agent and Scott Boris clients tend to uh, want to gravitate towards the market if they can, and it's a strategy that has worked. That's why Scott Boris is the most reputable agent in the industry. He gets results. And that's why top baseball play, and that's why he gets a lot of top talent clients that are looking to get that payday. And Gallon's no different. And plus, even if Zach Gallon wasn't a Boris client, Zach Gallon is the type of guy I think would try to would bet on himself and see what the market gives him. And on and we're and we're talking about a lot of money. Like there's a non-zero chance that Gallon could break 250 million in a free agent contract, depending on which. And it only takes one team to give do it. Whether it's Philadelphia, the Angels, or the Yankees, you never know who will do it. It just takes one team. So we'll look up Mitch Keller. I think Mitch Keller might be a more amenable guy to extend long-term than Zach Gallon. So yeah, Ge Keller is not a Boris client. I'm just looking up the information, so. I think Arizona, if they do trade for Mitch Keller, I think they have to be prepared to try and give him an extension. Although at the same time, if you try to do that, you might upset some of the guys in the locker. It's kind of different dynamics, obviously. Running a team isn't 
necessarily easy. It's something I don't want. I wouldn't want to be tasked with that responsibility. And that's a responsibility that Mike Hazen has to try and maximize the next three years without making turning 2026 and beyond into a barren wasteland. If there was a way for the Dimebacks to pry both Keller and Bednar without giving up too much from their active roster and keep Jordan Lawler in position to be their shortstop of the future, I think you have to explore that. Not just to win this year, but to win next year, 25, and beyond that. Because there is a cost associated with doing nothing to move the needle forward in the next three years. And you never know when the next time the Dimebacks will get a starter like Zach Gallen around. They might luck out and they are able to trade one of their top prospects, to get an arm that everyone misevaluated, underestimated. Dimebacks seem to run into those type of guys like Brandon Webb. Nobody thought was going to be an all-star. Paul Goldschmidt, Zach Gallen. It's like they seem to run into that type every now and every five years or so where they run into a, a guy that everyone underestimates because they didn't think about what was in here. They were more worried about what was below the shoulders than above it. And that's kind of, that's kind of an interesting thing when you talk about prospects, when you talk about makeup and their ability to fix things, fix things, fix improvements in their game. Look at, look at, uh, an advanced feel for the game. And Zach Gallon obviously is top of the list. He is probably the Puts the most preparation work for any starter that I've heard of over on air or TV. And of course, you know, Paul and Paul Goldschmidt, obviously a guy who went from a one elite tool prospect to a hall of famer. And then Brandon Webb is arguably the most dominant starter in Dimebacks history. Whose name is not Kurt Schilling or Randy Johnson. Of course, he also ended up winning more Cy Young awards than Kurt Schilling. But, uh, Herschelling wasn't going to beat Randy Johnson for any of those four Cy Youngs. 2002 was his best shot, but uh, the you're never the pit guy who wins the trip pitching triple crown is always going to win the Cy Young award. That's just how it works. So that's something for the Diamondbacks to consider. Do they go all in over the next three years, or do they sit around, accomplish, uh, make trades that accomplish very little? And squandered this three-year window. That's something, or do they go somewhere in between? That's going to be something to consider over the next five days. What do they do? So, anyways, that's see if Wes is able to come on. So we're going to doesn't look like it's going to be the case. So probably just going to wrap it up a little bit early today. So if you enjoyed the show and uh, hopefully I didn't tune everyone out having to basically throw an audible on this one, you can check out our Patreon page for $5 a month. You get extra content, the extra inning. Once we get uh, the extra inning, which is an extra show segment in which We'll talk about a topic which we didn't get a chance to talk about during the show because we want to keep this show short and concise. Real-time post-game reactions. We will, Not much time to think about the game and think about the analysis kind of thing. Think about the game, the analysis, and it's like kind of just playing off that raw motion. 
an, an opportunity to ask a question for monthly Q&A sessions. We're going to do Q&A sessions for patrons only. Patrons at, are able to ask questions, and we'll cover those in 15 to 20-minute question-answer videos. And in 48 hours, 48 hours of early access to upload content outside of the show, it's segments or breaking news. Like if the Dimebacks were to make a trade, that doesn't count as early access. And then we're going to do extra prospect and farm system coverage. So yesterday we released one through 10 behind the paywall would be 11 through 30 and maybe beyond that. And of course we have shout out. We have credit. We'll have credits and verbal shout outs at the end of each show. That's the perks that you have for Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash snakes on the diamond. You can see it's spelled out at the bottom. Those are the perks that you can unlock for the show. So anyways, if you enjoyed the content of the video and I'm apologize if you didn't make sure to leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel. We're going to be putting upload. We're going to upload different segments of this episode on there. You know, obviously yesterday I uploaded the top 10 list and also my story into how I became a baseball fan. Those are two uploads you want to check out. Um, and we'll also, uh, do shorts like the David Robertson short where we're, uh, news obviously starting pitcher getting traded closer getting traded because those are the Dimebacks top two needs. And then kind of just how those trades affect the Dimebacks ability to answer those two needs in the trade market. Those are the type of content you'll see on the show. So anyway, thanks everyone for watching. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael McDMLB. You can follow Wes on Twitter at Byer Wesley. And we're hoping to hopefully not run in. Hopefully we don't run into the situation again. where kind of have to throw an audible in the show because your co-host has co-host. Unfortunately, has actually no I'm not gonna go there forget that would be that would be a dick move to do that so appreciate everyone for spending their time on the show we'll be back on Monday back on Monday 10 a.m we're gonna talk about how the weekend series against Seattle went and also if there were any trades over the weekend there's gonna be some trades going on so make sure this Check us out on the channel. There will be shorts whenever any trade of a starting pitcher or closer comes out. 